Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast. Helping you invest in property for freedom, choice and profit. You'll learn new, innovative and multiple streams of property income. Whether you want to start, scale or systemize. And even if you don't have deposits. Hi, I'm Kevin McDonald, and welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast. On the podcast, we like to bring you leading experts in their field, new strategies, information that can help you in your property journey. And I'm really excited today to have David Kemp with me. David is a town planning expert, not just a town planner, a planning expert. And we're going to talk to David today about how you can understand planning and help you with your planning applications and really get through the, the stuff about what the council want to know about planning. So welcome, David. Thank you for joining me on Thanks, the podcast. Kevin. Cheers. So just for anyone listening in, a lot of our audience, some have got experience in property. Yeah. Some are starting out. Maybe mm-hmm. they're, they've done a single letter. They've not even got into their first property apart from maybe their own home. Yeah. Um, if you're starting out in property, what sort of advice would you give somebody about kind of tr- tricks, hacks, etc., to really understand the planning process? Because I know a lot of people can be, that I meet can be a little bit scared of planning and yes. all the intricacies around planning. So yeah, yeah. Um, how would you simplify it? So planning is a process, really. Um, and the best way to look at planning is don't be scared off from it in terms of its own set of rules. Um, it's really there as a vehicle to help to release latent value in what you're doing. So um, really where you are probably looking to start is not actually, ironically enough, with planning itself. It's, it's looking at the strategies that work in your area from a value and investment point of view, mm. and then thinking, well, what do I need in order to tick the boxes for planning or other rules that help for, to get me and my scheme from point A to point B? Right. So would it help if I give you an example about that? Brilliant. Love an example. So super. Well, one example would be, let's say you're in an area where it works particularly well to do HMOs. So to buy... So for anyone listening on a HMO... An HMO would be a house in... It's called a house in multiple occupation. So this is where you may have a family house that's occupied by a family at the moment, maybe, say, three or four bedrooms. Uh, And... In that case, you are looking now to try and buy that house, do it up, do works to it, and then uh, have up to six people um, live in it and rent it out. They might be students. They'll essentially be unrelated to each other. Uh, They might have their own rooms, possibly with ensuite bathrooms to them, or they might share bathrooms or toilets. But they'll share typically one particular Uh, amenity or facility within the house. So usually a kitchen or a dining room and that sort of stuff as well. So that is a house in multiple occupation. And you can have larger houses in multiple occupation, which are usually seven or more people living there, or you have smaller ones, which are three to six people living there as well. So you're looking to to do that. And because it's multi-let, you get more rent coming in. So more rent usually means higher value, means higher profits, and you're on your way to becoming a property developer, property investor, etc. So with houses in multiple occupation, you are looking to see how it works in the area. You'll be trying to test different strategies out. You'll be looking to speak to agents in the area to see 
what the stock of those houses are um, and whether or not you've got tenants and you've got people in that area who are likely to want to to live in those units as well. Uh, And if once you're there and once hopefully you're getting some good positive feedback from these people, then the next person you probably want to go and see is you probably want to go and see somebody at the council to speak to them to see how they feel about this from a planning point of view as well. Mm. Uh, So there are different levels at which you'll need to speak to the council and different officers. But one of the first things you'll want to be able to understand is, will I get planning permission if I need to do so to go from this single house to a house of multiple occupation occupied by six unrelated people? So... you're taking a single let house and turning it into a room let house. Yes. Multi let. Multi let. In most parts of the country, I know you've focused on six people, and, yeah. I, and I know why, and we'll share with the audience yeah. in a minute what happens yeah. over seven. But um, when you apply to the planning department, mm-hmm. you're looking f- you're looking for a change of use, I guess, from the use class. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So. Uh, With a single let, or if it's occupied by a family, it falls into a use class we call Class C3. So it's self-contained family accommodation. They're all occupying living there, usually as a family together. Okay. So if you're then moving to non-family accommodation, what happens is the accommodation is based not on the house as a whole, but it's based on a room-by-room room basis. Because mm. if you get a family who's living there, they were, and if they say they were, they were renting out that property, yeah. they are paying a rent based on the house as a, as a whole. If you rent out um, on a room-by-room room basis, then obviously the rent will be, tend to be lower than what somebody is paying as a rent for the whole house. Yeah. But you're receiving that lower rent six times over. So Mm. the total rents that you're receiving over six rooms will might very well exceed what you'd get from renting it all out to one occupant or one family for the whole house. So that's the incentive in doing it. I've done personally quite a few HMOs. And when I started years ago, I thought all you needed to go from a single let to a HMO was a HMO license and to speak to a HMO officer. Yes. Um, yeah. For anyone listening, it, I meet a lot of people who think, oh, I, the HMO officer said it's okay, They'll, they'd give me a license for HMO in that area. Yeah. yeah. Is that enough? No, that's not enough, no. I'm afraid. That's no. not enough. Because often what happens is, let's say you're talking about um, a house where it's occupied by no, going to be occupied by no more than six people. Yeah. So remember that we just said that the single house, the single let, as a family house, is in class C3. Yeah. You go to multi-let for up to six different people, let on a room-by-room basis, it's now a C4 use. So you go from C3 to Mm. C4. Now, within the law, you can go from C3 to C4 without needing planning permission. So there are different departments within the local authority. There's building control, there's planning, there'll be environmental health, there'll be the housing team as well. And there are all sorts of other different yeah, departments like conservation as well. Conservation officers. Conservation officers and so on and so forth, absolutely. 
So we're talking about just the planning department as well. And the thing is about the law, particularly with local authorities, there is a different set of rules that each separate department mm. has to follow. And they don't often talk to one another. Yeah, I was just going to say, if you apply for a HMO officer, I'm sure the HMO officer will tell planning you've applied, right? They don't always because, yeah. you know, they, they, they're only really concerned about doing their job nine to five, nine to six, following their own set of rules. And so sometimes what happens is you make that change and you might have done so without needing permission if you needed it. Yeah. And then you'll get the people who live next door, you get the curtain twitches, and they make a complaint to the local authority. Then it goes to the planning department. And the planning department then have a set of officers called the planning enforcement officers who then start sending you letters or making calls. They investigate the, who's the owner. They find out you're the owner now. And they say, we've got reports that you've done something you shouldn't have done in planning terms. Um, and therefore, we need you to change the use back again. And that can cost tens of thousands yeah. of pounds if you spent money on refurbishment, Especially if you put en suites in every En suites, you've done all that work, you've got to rip it all out, you've got to start all over again. Um, and all sorts of other rights within the law that you might lose as a result of having to do all that. Now, the typical and the understandable reaction of anybody who's in this position, never been in it before, would be, well, hold on a second, the planning department say I've done something wrong, but the housing department, I had a housing officer come down here the other day or before I did it, I showed them the plans and they said it was all all right. Mm. <clears throat> Sometimes you need a license from the council for uh, these sorts of rooms and this kind of strategy if you go above a certain number of stories yeah. or you have a cert above a certain number of rooms. That aside... Just putting that aside, that point aside for time being, uh, you would have been in a situation where you'd have one officer from another department, not in planning, from a different team, within housing, say, that's okay. Because they looked at a different set of rules. They yep. looked at the Housing Act rules. And you can be okay within the Housing Act rules, but still not have complied with the planning rules. Yeah. So... This is the difficulty of being a developer and being an investor um, and looking at these sort of strategies that you have to have clear in your mind, what are the requirements that I'm going to have to meet if I want to do this? So I need to think about what I have to comply with in terms of building control, what I have to comply with in terms of housing or licensing. And it's actually some of the building control stuff will be part of the housing or licensing stuff. And what do I need to comply with in terms of planning? Okay. And it's worth finding out what these are before yeah. you go into it. Not, don't try and learn on the job. You know, get some training, get some education, speak to people who have done this before. Um, perhaps if it's your very first one, seek to joint venture. Yeah. Joint ventures are hugely important, really valuable because you may be giving up some of your um, investment pot, some of your return to joint venture partner, but it's always better to earn something and learn yeah. rather than to try and be greedy and everything and then find out you're going to be hit in terms of costs and you'll lose your investor relationships and undermine confidence in yourself afterwards. Um, we travel f fastest when we go alone, yeah. but we travel further 
when we go with others. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I say that quite a lot to yeah. people. Um, and I've done a, a, quite a few joint ventures mm. and a number of HMOs. But when I started, and what you've just said, for somebody listening now, you might be thinking, oh my God, this is really complex. It's really difficult. But actually, it's, would you, it's, it's actually not that difficult. It's quite simple. But it's simple if you do the right steps, I guess. That's right. So if somebody is listening now, um, where would you tell them to go first? Rather than buy a house, start a refurb, the starting point is what? Well, the starting point would be to know your local market and know yeah. the strategies that work. And once you feel you've got an idea on what those strategies are that work, then there are two things you need to do. Find out, in, in, gather information on, on the ground. Speak to the planning officers. Speak to policy officers. Speak to the local authority. Um, speak to housing officers as well. Housing officers is always a good start, with, particularly with HMO strategies, because they will often be liaising with their colleagues in other teams and other departments. Yeah. They often have to li liaise with building control, environmental health officers. They often liaise with the planning department as well, not often at the outset when you're first having a chat with them. But if you then ask them the question, I'm, you know, Mr. Jones, I'm looking at uh, this kind of property. You've been very helpful about housing and housing requirements. Where else do you think I need to look within the local authority? Who else do I think you think I need to speak mm. to? It's a little bit of a, uh, a cookie trail, yeah. um, and you follow the breadcrumbs a little bit. But those, that trail will certainly lead you to the main points of contact that you need to speak to. Right. Um, and then that'll – so there's information gathering. Um, there are three limbs to this. There's in, Information gathering is the first point. Speak to the regulators, the officers on the ground. Yeah. The second point is your network. Your network is your net worth. So when you go out there, you're in the progressive community, ask people, you know, have they had experience? What kind of mm. uh, things do I need to look at as well? Um, where you are building up your uh, contacts with investors as well, you may not be dealing with investors who know much about this area, but you might also be dealing with joint venture partners who do. Yeah. And so you want to be working with your joint venture partners. You want to be leveraging their knowledge, their experience, which is hugely important as well. And as you do so, keep a written record. Yeah. So work on your systems. So m make a note. If they say, well, we need to do X, Y, and Z, put a list together of X, Y, and Z. You have then a checklist. As you're going through this on your first project, you'll be probably putting together all these checklists, all these precedents that you can work through. You put together a folder of this stuff as well. So you've got that. The third limb, so it's a sort of a three-stool exercise. The third limb is obviously your power team. So it's when you come to speaking to your planning consultant, or your builder about this, you'll need to, or your architect, you'll need to be asking them also, am I missing anything out here? Yeah. You know, what else do we need to look at? I guess as well, the planning departments any, and any department within the council would prefer you come speak to them up front than find out Tot later. Totally, as well, yeah. And also, a lot of this is personalities. Mm. A lot of this is getting to know who they're dealing with. You want to get to know who you're dealing with as well. 
Um, and you build up that know, that like, that trust yeah. that aspect to it as well with them. Yeah, yeah. definitely important. In the community, I, a lot of people do say, but um, in my area, there's already a lot of investors. There's a lot of competition. Hmm. But if these people are have walked the road before you and applied for planning and gone mm-hmm. through all of the HMO licenses, planning approvals, etc. Yeah. I guess rather than looking at them as competition, they could be your ally because they can tell you who the right person to speak to, who you need to speak to, that sort of stuff. Well, exactly. Yes. And the thing is, if you have got the contact and you've got the connection with the agents and you've got the uh, the foothold or the control in the deal, mm. uh, as long as you're fairly secure on that and you've got something in place so no one's going to be able to go behind your back and take that deal, you've got the deal. Somebody else has got perhaps just the money or they might have the knowledge and the money. Mm. You've got the makings of a JV there as well. Yeah. You know, and with the right relationships and um, with those relationships matured over time and getting to know your JV partner, um, you build up that level of trust that you can work well together, you know. And as we say, you'll travel farther with others than you yeah. will on your own as well. But in those situations, it's, you know, never get married on a first date with people as well. So, you know, you want to get to know them. You want to get to know what they've done as well. You want yeah. to have a look at their schemes. Um, uh, are they at a different level? Are they, are they much higher? Um, uh, is this too much of a step down for them in terms of where you are? Yeah. Um, or um, is it the right fit? Or are they also doing quite small, shabby-looking um, pad studios, bedsits, HMOs, but that's not what you want to do. You want to mm. be getting known for doing good quality stuff because it's reputation that counts, not yeah. only with banks, investors, other people as well in the business as well. You know, we always, we always like to see these photos being posted within the communities and the groups saying, this is my new HMO, you know, look yeah. at the interior decor to it. That's your, tr- that's you, those are your values. Mm. That's your, so you need to connect with your values and know whether or not your JV partner shares those values. But it's also important for reputation with a local authority as well. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, for where I am, actually, an example of this is the HMO officer, because I've got a really good relationship with them. The new law that came out last year in October, which you can touch on if you like around HMOs, mm-hmm. about the floor. You used to need, in the UK, you needed um, up till October last year, five or more people on three or more floors. You needed um, planning permission across the country, and it was our HMO licensing across the country. But it's, it's now just five or more people in a house. So they've removed the floors rule. Uh, it's different depending on your authority. Again, as David said, speak to a local authority. But that when that law came in, in October, h- hundreds more properties in our area became HMO licensable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Our HMO officer sent me a questionnaire to look through before she sent it to the landlords to see if I felt it was okay. Yeah, because yeah. I speak to her and stay in touch with them about licensing. Yeah, and having a good relationship with that will help. Will that help you also get? approvals easier etc do you think that makes a difference oh massively kevin i mean the thing is also it could also open up potential deals for you yeah because if you have that relationship with the officers you can get you know get into a conversation with them and you can start saying to them well um by the way are there any other houses that you know of that they're having trouble with this and depending upon the relationship they might open up to you and start to say well 
you know, I'm dealing with that one um, in Acacia Road, for instance, and let's say that, you know, it's, um, uh, they have no license on it. Uh, what they've done, I think they're going to have trouble getting it licensed. Mm. Um, and so um, you, you might then want to get in touch with uh, the owner at 24 Acacia and see whether or not they're interested in exiting because maybe they don't have the money and they yeah. want to cut their losses. And so there are opportunities here. Um, but also, it's very important on your own properties as part of a due diligence exercise and knowing that you might have to do that work yeah. in advance and you're budgeting for it early as, as well. Um, it's very, very important to know what money you're going to have to spend yeah. um, and to do it to the right level as well. Uh, and like, there's nothing worse than having to go back to investors and ask them to put in more money because there wasn't enough money in the pot to pay for things that, quite frankly, if you'd asked the right questions in the first place to the right people, yeah. you'd have known that it should have been, you know, it's that money that would have needed to have been spent, work that would have needed to have been done in the first place. It just mm. makes you look much more competent and much more investable as yeah. well. Uh, a while back, I made a mistake like that. I um, mm. got a, we had a basement in a property, mm. and we put in all the we put electrics into the basement. Our our plan, without checking with the planning, yeah. which was a bit of a mistake. Our plan was um, to put the fridge, freezers, the washing machines, all this stuff in the basement mm -hmm. to save room in the kitchen, mm -hmm. and we put all the the electrics down, all the plug sockets, etc., and then the building control planning came out mm -hmm. looked at the building and said that we would have to rip it all back out again and put a locked fire door at the top of the basement oh and fit it all in the kitchen because um of the the height of the building the size of the rooms and um the there was a, a joist missing in the basement that gave it the basically make it safe we've been through the process where not only in terms of working out what we can do in planning terms um but also what we can do in terms of licensing and what's licensable. Because the idea is that when we go in with our planning application, mm. we need to be sure that what we get planning for is implementable. Yeah. That we don't have to go back to amend the planning afterwards because licensing have told us something else. Mm. So you will need to be looking at two main areas of rules when you go in to do your HMA, for instance. So you'll need to be looking at um, what the planning rules are and what the housing rules are. Now, the housing department will usually produce some sort of guide, which is related to the Housing Acts, right. on bedroom sizes, um, how big a single um, occupancy room needs to be, how big a double occupancy room needs to be, there are different rules and different sizes depending upon whether or not there are kitchens or ensuite bathrooms, etc. Yep. How big the kitchen or dining area needs to be depending upon whether or not there's going to be a living room, so on and so forth. Yep. Uh, how many um, rooms need to be sharing a bathroom or a w or, or, a, or, or a toilet um, or dining areas as well or kitchen areas? And how many floors away from those facilities they need to be. So the rules can be very, very complex. There need to, there's often rules about, as well, how big the windows need to be, yeah. um, whether or not, you know, they, they need to be um, at least 
one-tenth of the area or one-twenty, uh, usually about one-tenth of the area of the floor space in a room and the openable area needs to be, of the window, needs yeah. to be roughly at least one-twentieth of the area. So and there needs it, to be fire escapes sometimes. There needs sometimes, to be fire so. escapes as well. So <clears throat> you need to be looking uh, at this very carefully because, for instance, let's say that you have a corridor that leads into a kitchen and dining area, um, but the corridor also can lead directly into bedrooms. But you have a bedroom as well. We have this in our case as mm. well. You have a bedroom which is not accessed off the corridor. It's accessed through going through the kitchen and dining area. Now, think about it. If that kitchen dining area catches fire... You can't get out. You can't get out. So um, there are rules that allow you to have the bedroom behind the kitchen dining area in that case, but it depends upon what fire exit provisions there are, whether or not you can get through the window, how far you are off the ground, and so on and so forth. So um, there are rules that you have to work through. It's about asking the right questions beforehand. Mm. Your planning consultant, for instance, me, I know the rules about the planning and what we have to ask to the planning department. Yeah. I can also go through, and many planning consultants will do this, they will go through and check against the housing rules also whether or not what the plans show complies and ticks the right boxes. But there's a lot of stuff about fire safety and building regulations. And that's where you want to be leveraging the experience and knowledge of your architect. Because when architects qualify, they... They, are, they learn a little bit about planning. They learn a bit about this and design and so on and so forth. But um, they will know an awful lot more about building regs and fire uh, safety yeah. than the planning uh, consultant will do as well. So you want to be asking them those questions. So um, we've gone in with an application for planning to change the three flats into three separate HMO. So there's four bedrooms in one, there's six bedrooms right. in another and six bedrooms in another as well. So what we have was we had two bedrooms in each of those three flats. So that was a total of up to 12 people between three flats. We've now got a total of up to 16 people, possibly, between what used to be three flats now split over those we might go in for another application to extend afterwards and get in more people. Um, so we're doing it in stages and we're cutting it down in that way. But we've done one exercise for planning. We've done one exercise for housing and licensing. Yeah. We made sure that while putting the plans together, there's cross-referencing and those that do, the due diligence on both of those speak to each other. Yeah. Um, and in some parts of the country, before you're going to go in for your application for planning permission, it's worth speaking to the housing team. So that will be the private sector housing team or the private sector housing service. Right. That's who you want to be asking for at Switchboard. So you'll speak to them. Um, and what we did, for instance, in Brent um, with another application was we put in an application and before we did so, we sent the floor plans over to an officer I'd spoken to at the private sector housing team. They said, yes, happy to look at the floor plans, see if they tick the right boxes, see if they comply, and then um, we'll tell you whether or not you need to make any changes. Yeah. Now, that saves a lot of time because if you go with an application and you don't find that out afterwards and you have to make those changes, 
it delays the application because then the officers and the planning team have to reconsult on yeah. changes to those plans. So that's your, you, that delays your refinancing. It exactly, it holds things back yeah. and you yeah. might not be able to get the application through within the time that you wanted. Yeah. So making those changes before the plans go in mm. mean that you're making the best use of time yeah. and there's no, there's no statutory delay, uh, legal delay at the council level yeah. in the planning department. Um, and also we send plans through in some councils where they don't provide that advanced service. We'll send the plans through to the private sector housing team at the same time we make the application. Because when a planning application goes in, there's usually a delay of about one to two weeks yeah. before anybody sees it because it's going through the uh, registration processes and they're setting up their physical file, handing it over to an officer, so on and so forth. So in that time, while all that's sort of going on in terms of the admin, nobody in the private sector housing team has seen anything. Right. So we're sending the documents over to the private sector housing team at the same time so we're making the best use of that time. Yeah. If they then say, well, you need to make changes here or there, we'll change the plans, send it over to the planning team, say, by the way, place these plans on your file instead of the ones that you had. Right. So it's you both had. happening so at the same time. Play, it's happening at the same time. Mm. Yeah, so we catch it early. Yeah. yeah. So when when I started in property, I was um, penny wise and pound foolish, mm-hmm. I'd say. And I said, well, a lot of people I see, they they read a book or they try to do everything on their own. And then they they try to be a solicitor and an accountant and a planning expert, a capital allowances expert, exactly, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and for me, one of the things that I try to teach people is as a property investor, your focus should be on finding the right area to invest, finding the properties, doing the viewings, yes. and then get experts who understand the process because it'll save you a lot more money yeah. long-term to actually put the plans through once and get it done once. Yes. Yep. The, make sure they're approved rather than rejected. You refinance quicker, you get your tenants in quicker. Exactly. Um, and I guess this is the sort of stuff that you do for people on the planning side. Absolutely. So yeah. So yeah. If, yeah. if people wanted to um, get in touch with you, hear from you, how do they do that? So my email address is david at drkplanning.co.uk. So uh, it's a good way of getting in touch with me. Email me at david at drkplanning.co.uk. I'm also on Facebook or on LinkedIn. Email is usually best. Um, and um, uh, happy to, to hear from people and, and see how we can help. And um, that'd be brilliant. So I'm sure there's loads of you are going to be like inundated with people you'll get in quick <laughs> if if there was sort of like um quick a quick hack or something is there quick ways to get through the planning do you always need to go for full planning is there ways to like yeah. bypass that a little bit no you don't always need to uh and particularly if you're doing what we call the small hmos the small houses in multiple occupation up to six people then in a lot of areas they have what's called permitted development rights so you don't need full planning permission to go from that single let, that single family house to the multi-let up to six people yeah. uh, to go from what's called the C3 to the C4 use class. What you will do need to do, though, to protect yourself is you'll need to make a legal application to the council. It's called a Certificate of Lawfulness application. You'll need to put in plans uh, to the application. You need to speak to a planning consultant who can guide you through this process. Um, it takes up to eight weeks. It's decided only at officer level. It's legal only. So it doesn't go to committee. 
Um, there can be people who are objecting against it because they don't necessarily want to live to, next to an HMO. That doesn't matter because if the law says you've got an existing C3 family dwelling and the plans that you're proposing are, are showing the right kind of use, the C4 use, no more than six people, then a certificate must, must be granted. Right. Um, and once you've got that, then that protects you against any enforcement action. You can show that to investors, to banks, to buyers, as to solicitors, so on and so forth. So that helps. Sometimes those rights have been taken away by the council under a separate direction called an Article, Article 4, 4 notice. So you need to be careful, you need to watch out for that. Um, or it might be something on the planning record. Ask your planning consultant or your architect to check those points out. Or about Article 4 directions, they're usually on the council's website or you can ask the council directly. But whatever you do, whenever you ask a council something, particularly on something like directions where it limits your rights, get it in writing as well. Always follow up with an email or something. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you don't have an email reply confirming either way, chase it up because otherwise it's on you. Would it be enough to say, following our phone call, I'm just confirming that you said this? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it will be. Uh, and then ask for them to confirm in reply as yeah. well. And um, we focused a lot there on six people. Mm. Just in case there's anyone listening and they decide to do a 12 property as their first deal. Yes. What's the main difference between a six person and going into the seven plus people? So seven plus, you're into a different um, use class of, in, term, in planning terms. Um, and then for you need a planning application, a full application for planning permission. There's no permitted development rights to go into that use. So there's more planning risk involved. It will take more time. It's more controversial. You might get more comments. It's more likely to go to a planning committee. Um, there's potentially a lot more return involved, mm. but that's because there are more risks involved as well. So it's just standard investment balance really more risks more return yeah. more return more risks and just to clarify for people we're not talking about seven bedrooms here are we we're talking about seven, seven people. people exactly yeah, seven yes. people it's the number of occupants mm. so you could have a five bed house with seven people yes it's the new use class yes exactly yeah and this also um, it kicks in a requirement for building control so it'll be more cost on the refurb is that right they could be, yes. I mean, building on. control is not something that as a planning consultant I will specialise in. Um, but obviously, if there are more requirements because there are more people involved and there's more comings and goings, and mm. uh, there needs to be more due diligence in terms of safety, etc. Yeah. Um, more noise insulation as well, as well, because noise, as well as fire safety, these are dealt with by building control. Um, then, therefore... Um, there's obviously going to be more cost there as well. Awesome. That's been really brilliant. I'm just, I'm, I know you're, you've got to get away. So um, I, I found that really helpful. I know for anyone listening in, um, it's a it's re- really good podcast. Lots of information about where you need to start. It with, don't just take a property and turn it into a multi-let. Make sure you've got the right plans in place, the right approvals in place. Speak to your local authority, speak to the HMO officer, but not only the HMO officer, speak to the planning department as well. Ask them who else you need to speak to. Get in touch with David. Um, He does all this for you. So um, he's given his email address. Just say it one more time for anyone who's listening in. David at drkplanning.co.uk. 
You've been listening to the Progressive Property Podcast. We've had David Kemp. It's been really, really awesome. Remember the podcast, it's live on YouTube, on iTunes, on Stitcher. It's out every Tuesday from 7.30 in the morning on iTunes and Stitcher. You can see the recordings of interviews like this on YouTube as well on the Progressive Property YouTube channel. And if you want to know more about David, get in touch. I've been Kevin McDonald. You've been absolutely awesome.